So we've got a massive market that's growing hugely uh, that New Zealand is very underrepresented in but has shown, um, you know, with the likes of Zero and Pushpay and a whole bunch of other companies that actually we can do this and well on a world stage from day one. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain, and today we have back in the studio, Brett Roberts. How are you, Brett? I'm very good, thank you, Paul. It's good to be back. Very cool to have you here. Uh, nice to nice to catch up and always fun uh, and insightful discussions. Uh, maybe before we jump in, you can let listeners know where you fit into this big, wide world of tech in, in New Zealand. Oh, cool. Um, right. So I guess I've been in the big, wide world of tech in New Zealand for a fair while now, a decade or two, or decade or two and a half. Um, and right now, uh, I, my role, Paul, is I'm community director for KiwiSAS, which is a joint venture between the New Zealand government and the New Zealand software as a service sector. That's very cool. It's yeah. great to, great to uh, you know, see you building that uh, that community out and, uh, you know, everything that can help grow our uh, our software sector in a, in a good way should uh, should yield some dividends for the sector, right? Ab- absolutely. I can bore you with a whole bunch of numbers later on around how big the sector is and what it might be and what it means for jobs and our kids and their kids and we should have that conversation. Awesome. I look look forward to that. You're always good <laughs> good uh, having your finger on the on the pulse with uh, where things are going and what, where the numbers are at. Um, before we jump in uh, further, let's just say thank you to our show partners: uh, Vodafone, Two Degree, Spark, HP, Gorilla Technology, and Deal. Uh, so thanks for their support of the New Zealand Tech Podcast and you know more broadly of the the technology and innovation ecosystems uh, here in New Zealand. Now, uh, jumping in to start with a um, couple of local product releases. We don't talk so much about gadgets on the show these days, but um, you know, we all need to use varying bits and pieces of technology. Uh, and we've, we've seen a, a bit of activity, I guess, when it comes to uh, streaming in New Zealand. And uh, Amazon have finally, after many years, launched their Fire TV range uh, in New Zealand. So they've got two products, uh, a four, the 4K uh, streaming stick. So this is an HDMI stick that you can plug into an existing smart TV or a dumb TV or a projector um, or whatever else you've got that takes an HDMI <laughs> input, I suppose. Right. Uh, and this, we've got the 4K variant and then uh, at, it's coming in around $109 and then a full HD one at, at $69. We're also, we've seen... Um, Google with their, their Chromecast um, with um, Google TV coming in at you know quite similar price points. Uh, so yeah, really actually really pleasing to see Amazon um, yeah sort of fully into the market. I suppose the the Fire TV has been a great product for for a long time, and I can't remember how many years ago it was when when they first uh, first launched. But I remember getting one in from from the US and uh, and trying it out. Uh, and yeah, really, really good experience. Um, uh, probably the the main product we haven't really seen uh, land here, which you know competes with with what Amazon are doing, and also with Google, uh, has been the the Roku um, product, and and they've you know had their little Roku TV box, and and then onto uh, onto sticks going for for many many years. 
Um, the Fire TV has uh, has you know a level of voice control, and you've got your range of the the usual sort of apps. Um, I think there will be, or there is a bit of a variance in terms of um, you know what the apps are uh, that are available for uh, for New Zealand. So I've only just had a, a kind of a quick uh, play with it uh, with it so far, but it's uh, it certainly you know looks like a pretty slick product. Um, the one that, thing that was surprising, wasn't it, Brett, when we, we plugged it in, um, we've got a, uh, a Vion TV here uh, in, the, in the studio, one of the roaming, roaming uh, TVs around the office, and uh, was quite surprised that when we were setting, setting up the um, Fire TV stick, uh, it listed Vion as a brand that it can, you know, it can control the volume and, and so on. On so that the remote is is basically a, uh, a programmable remote to a degree, sort of automatically. Unfortunately, in the case of the Vion we had, because there are so many different ones <laughs> with different variants, right. it's not like buying a Samsung or, you know, or a, a, a real name brand TV that they're all very consistent because they're just rebadging, you know, other other people's uh, leftovers. You know, leftovers, however you want to put it. Uh, so unfortunately, we, that feature didn't work but it seems like it will work with probably about half a dozen different models that came up in the listing there so that's it's very interesting as I've yet to see Vion sort of supported by uh, anything even if you go to the warehouse that sells them and you buy one of their <laughs> universal remotes they don't have a universal remote that necessarily uh, recognizes Vion either which is, is rather a, an interesting yeah. uh, uh, conundrum. I, I was impressed as you were just stepping through the um the setup process actually—it looked really slick. Like it, both just the the flow, but actually um, the actual interface was nice. And it was you know there was a QR code to help people along. It's actually um, one of the better user experiences I've things, seen of things like that. And just for your edification, Paul, November the nineteenth, twenty fourteen was when Amazon released its first Fire Sticks. Almost eight years ago. Yeah. Okay. And I Quite wonder old. whether they had the box even earlier earlier than that. Oh, they probably the, did. Actually, good the, point. Before the stick was yep. the uh, was the box, but That's yeah. product progression, right? Box stick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. don't know what comes after that. These things shrink, don't they? So, <laughs> um, but yeah, look, it, it, you know, it's, it's good good to see New Zealand sort of you know finally getting, uh, you know, getting getting included there, and um, you know now we've got both of them in the market. We you know we maybe see uh, we see a bit more. Um, Competition, but certainly you know they're they're quite reasonable price points, yeah. and it and it um, reminds me of when we first really started seeing the smart TVs coming into the market. You know, one of my uh, comments was, "Well, you buy a smart TV at some point in time, what's built into it is no Absolutely. longer going to be right. you know much use." And so, why would you buy a smart TV in the first place? Well, now from you know most of the major manufacturers, you're not going to find anything that. Uh, you know that that isn't smart. Um, but even if you've got a, a smart TV now, it may no longer be very smart. So this allows you to you know yeah. have have bring that old TV uh, you know back to life. Um, make your and, TV smarter. Uh, yeah, makes yeah. it makes it very smart. Voice control and uh, um, and so on. So um, yeah, it look, looks like um, uh, looks like there's a you know a reasonable reasonable range of um, of of bits and pieces in there. What do we? I think they've now got um, uh, TVNZ um, and and three now as uh, options, um, but no neon yet uh, oh, okay. for 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 the New Zealand uh, market. 
Um, so it'll be interesting just to just to follow that and see how long um, uh, how long that takes. Uh, Sky Sport uh, now, um, I believe as well. So um, you know the the uh, support for what we you know what you'd need in, in New Zealand is certainly coming coming through uh, reason, reasonably quickly. It's probably what took it so long trying to negotiate rights stuff or whatever it might be in Get New those Zealand's apps an absolute and, nightmare. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, good to uh, good to see. Now the um, the other thing from a, a product perspective, caught up with the uh, the team from Huawei uh, last week, and you might be wondering, well, why would you be talking to them? Um, you know, they're not they're not really uh, you know selling a whole lot of uh, phones and 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 whatnot anymore. Um, but they are continuing to you know to release a range of things. So they've got uh, they've got a new laptop coming into the uh, into the New Zealand market. Uh, they're they're continuing to innovate on the watch front. It's probably sort of their their standout area because of their smartwatches having uh, a lifespan of sort of between one and one and one and two weeks, and there really isn't anybody else in the market that has uh, has been able to uh, has been able to do you know that sort of thing with a, a reasonably capable. Um, Watch. There are some sort of challenges in terms of on Android, and you need to sort of sideload uh, apps for the watches, which I'm never, you know, super keen on encouraging uh, folks to do that. The iOS app is uh, uh, is there in the App Store, but the um, their Android app um, in Google Play is, is quite dated. Um, but it's the uh, the um, noise cancelling uh, earbuds that have arrived first. Brett, you got your hands on there, the uh, Freebuds Pro 2. I've um, got my hands on them. They're, um, they're, they're quite a sort of, you know, quite a, a tidy, slick-looking device, and, and they are, you know, quite um, quite high-end from um, from all accounts, and, uh, you know, there's, there's looks like quite a, quite a big effort uh, has gone into that. Uh, they're sort of four hundred odd dollars, um, but they come down to a, a lower price point. Uh, their lowest end uh, Freebuds SE product, uh, I think, is coming in about ninety nine dollars in the New Zealand market. So we're kind of seeing what what uh, you know we see from um, you know the likes of Apple uh, and Samsung when it comes to sort of a, a you know a bit of a selection in terms of earbuds. Um, I'll be very interested in their sub ninety nine dollar product whether it whether it kind of works. The other ones that we've been thrown that come in at that price point tend to be really disappointing. Um, most most yeah. of them, I think there's there's what one one or two that those low, lower price points that uh, folks seem to um, you know find are, are workable. Um, but uh, you know for something at at the at the higher end in terms of good battery life, good uh, you know good Bluetooth both from a Picking up your voice and you know listening to music because uh, yeah most of those lower price point ones they might be okay for listening to a bit of music um, but the you know, any sort of noise cancelling capability or um, you know good quality voice that yeah. kind of tends to go out the window. And also, those, there's Bluetooth chipsets and there's Bluetooth chipsets, right? Just seems from to be a, a bit of variation. Connectivity perspective and how well behaved they are. These are nice, mate. I have to say, like the. Um, the design is is beautiful. The out of box experience is great, um, and the minute you open the little whatever you call that thing up that they sit in, I get a little pop up on my Windows 11 laptop asking me if I want to pair them. So that whole integration thing with Windows is pretty sweet as well. Yeah, nice to see Windows has sort of moved moved along a bit on that yeah, uh, yeah, front. Exactly. Got, yeah, exactly. Got a little bit modern there. Any improvement <laughs> to Bluetooth is a good thing. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, good. You know, good. Good to see that coming through. I'm kind of fascinated to see how Huawei evolves as a you know as a business over the over the years ahead. Seems that you know they will continue to play a very key part within you know China and and you know probably across some of the other countries. Uh, in, haven't banned them yet. in Asia, uh, where you know where they don't have the same the same issues, uh, you know, on that on that smartphone front as they do uh, with the rest of the world due to them not being able to uh, you know support the Google Play Store at this at this point in time. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's good to see. And um, yeah, yeah, quite fascinating how they've really doubled down on the on the smartwatches. And um, yeah. but we'll we'll look at that maybe uh, maybe another episode. Um, now onto onto other topics. Um, there always does seem to be a lot going on in this world of tech, and um, quite often uh, the Americans are part of it. Um, uh, and as we were sort of just talking about between uh, you know Huawei and 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 the US uh, stir, stirring things up, uh, and there's sort of really been some some pretty. Big news, I think. Uh, it's kind of I'm sort of struggling to get my head around it in a in a way. Um, and and this seems to be that the US, um, you know, are really trying to take control of chip manufacturing, microchip manufacturing. And so we've you know we've seen this uh, influx of funding come in in the US and Intel and and others uh, being you know heavily incentivized. Uh, to build their own, um, you know, fabrication, uh, you know, factories or plants uh, in the US. Now those things take years and years to uh, to build. But meanwhile, we've seen China sort of starting to get up to speed with, you know, with a level of um, of chip production. And this has been, you know, fascinating because the, you know, the the Chinese companies, uh, you know, they might not start at the front. Um, but often they do very, very well, and we're sort of starting to see, you know, that across you know many, 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 many fields. And uh, you know, it's fascinating looking at the audio auto uh, industry at the moment, and uh, and seeing the Chinese players start to come through. Uh, I'm spending a little bit of time with one of the MG uh, EVs this week, and uh, you know, it sounds like a British brand, but you know, this is it's a it's a you know. China, Don't be fooled. Chinese company, uh, you know, the, these days. And, uh, you know, BYD seem to be moving very quickly into the market here and in, in the vehicle front. And so, I mean, it will be, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure anyone can really predict how, the, how things will play out in that, uh, in that auto market. Um, but it does seem a, a little bit like Japan's days are, uh, you know, of dominance uh, are very, very uh, numbered. And really, it, it's gonna it's gonna come down to I'm sure all sorts of factors, but I think we will see you know, the players that have been dominant over the past 30, 40 years. Uh, that will be very, very different uh, for the next 30 or 40 years. And uh, um, you know, we will we will continue to see um, you know lots and lots of changes. But China's opportunity to get into chip manufacturing. Right now is quite reliant on um, on the expertise of a lot of Americans, and so that's really where this sort of big big news comes in is that uh, U.S. Uh, is is banning the export uh, to Chinese firms not only of high end chips, so chips coming out of America that maybe you know could get used in military or other applications, 
Uh, but now it's down to the engineering support. And so American engineers wanting to, you know, be involved in the in the way I'm reading it anyway, Brett, and I don't know how you take it, uh, is that those American sort of experts that are needed in order for China to have a, a chip sector are basically being sort of called home. Uh, and that they're, you know, they're, they're being uh, told that if they work in that sector for China, um, they could get into you know, all sorts of hot water, whether it's uh, losing their American citizenship or if they go back to uh, the US getting into um, you know, some fairly hefty uh, legal troubles. So, um, yeah, this is, this is going to be huge yeah. if, uh, if, it, if it's as successful as, as sort of first reports online suggest, which suggests there's been a, a mass uh, wave of resignations across the, uh, the chip sector in China. So I was, I found the story really interesting when it, it dropped uh, a few days ago uh, for a couple of reasons. One was I was amazed that mainstream press hadn't picked it up. This is one of the most seismic things I've ever seen from a um, sanctions in general, let alone in the in the tech sector. Um, and effectively, what the United States has apparently done is they've um, added uh, around about thirty semiconductor companies in China to a thing called the unverified list, which is run by the Bureau of Industry and Security. Uh, and that immediately means that a whole bunch of export things can't happen for them. Um, one of those things is that um, most people probably don't realise, but um, the machines that, that manufacture chips, um, um, which use te- technological photolithography, um, there's one, effectively one really big manufacturer of those machines. It's a company called ASML. They're based in the Netherlands. The machines take nine months I read somewhere recently, to manufacture. Um, anyway, the Americans are leaning on um, that organisation not to ship any more um, machines to China, um, and one of the ways in which they're doing that is they have apparently given people uh, the options of retaining their American citizenship or green card and not working for a Chinese chip company or choosing to work for a Chinese chip company and giving up um, the latter. Um, that's a really, really big deal. The other thing too, as you said, was... Um, they're prohibiting the shipment of um, certain high-end chips um, to China. So it's not just weaponry, it's also AI systems uh, because the big battle that's going on right now in the tech space is artificial intelligence and China are probably, I think in some ways, um, leading the pack um, when it comes to between them and the United States. So this is a really, really big deal. Um, I have no idea the impact it'll have on supply chains over time, but as you know, most of, or a huge amount of, uh, semiconductor manufacturing happens in China. Um, so, yeah, who, who knows where this might play out, but I've never seen something this um, spectacular, um, sudden. Uh, it wasn't exactly signalled as far as I could see. Everyone seemed to be surprised about it. And the ram- the ripples from this will spread a very long way over a very long period of time. So it's, um, it's interesting watching America flex its muscles, I guess, on the sanctions front. Um, and I would imagine if you were a Chinese-based um, semiconductor manufacturer or reliant on Chinese-based semiconductor manufacturing, this would be a very big deal. So we'll see where it goes. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, really, it's huge. And you know, from that sort of political standpoint, it's probably not the sort of thing most folks were expecting of of no. Biden. I mean, it. Uh, you know, it it seems to be something that potentially has a has a much bigger impact than uh, than the things that uh, that Trump. Put into play. Oh, by a long shot, right. I think. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's just, just insane yep. uh, from from that scale perspective. Um, so, yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting little time ahead. And I, I guess the, the other um, 
pieces. We just haven't really heard much back from from China on it. Um, so whether that's something that's uh, that's still to come, whether whether they're playing it down, um, see what the retaliation is. Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah. So we live in interesting times, don't we? We might be going back to analog dials and things in cars. Yeah. You know, right? <laughs> now, I was fascinated to uh, to hear um, in the um, BBC uh, reading through some some stuff there uh, about an Indian village, uh, Maharashtra, um, where they apparently go offline daily. Uh, to help people actually do people type stuff, uh, quite uh, quite a quite a kind of um, a bold move, really, for um, you know for this uh, this village. There are um, uh, about three thousand people, um, made up largely of farmers and, and sugar mill sugar mill workers, uh, is what uh, uh, the BBC uh, states and. Um, yeah, they. Uh, I guess they they've got together their leaders uh, for for the village, and uh, they uh, they decided that um, you know they should uh, they should have a couple of hours every every day uh, without uh, screens and uh, and so on. So uh, yeah, they they drop offline uh, apparently um, seven p.m. to eight thirty. So yeah, about an, about an hour and a half uh, about an hour and a half a day. Interesting. I um, I hadn't seen this story before, but it's an interesting concept to get people talking. It'd be fascinating to understand the background about what prompted this. But what I think is even more interesting is the roll-on effect it's had. Where I see in the UK they're predicting there could be in three and four-hour power cuts. So it looks like the UK might be implementing no <laughs> screen time for 67 million people um, every evening, which could be could be interesting. So these little changes in a village in India have had a huge impact on a on a nation a long way away. So look at that. <laughs> yes, there's a bit of drama going on in the UK, isn't there? <laughs> there has been a lot of sort of impact, right, of um, screen addiction and these sorts of, yeah. you know, these all, all the different, um, you know, things that sort of social media has uh, has brought and, and just, you know, access to sort of tap into an unlimited amount of information and, and learning. Um, and dopamine addiction. Yeah, That's, yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, yep. So you know, it it is good to stop and sort of think about these things. Whether uh, whether it should be something that's sort of you know state sanctioned. <laughs> yeah. um, you know that that's um, well. I guess you know there there have been levels of that in um, you know in the likes of China, haven't yep. there? In, in terms of all sorts of you know rules and and controls around what what youngsters can do and. Uh, no so gaming. on how many how many how much time you can spend gaming before exactly. you get into trouble and yep. and uh, and and so on. But uh, look, you know, some of these things have some maybe have some good good intent. Um, whether it necessarily plays out, um, you know, that way when you try and you know force it on a population, I guess that's probably open to <laughs> to much study and 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 much debate. And uh, you know, this is a fairly small scale one, so we we may never uh, you know see any data. Uh, back on it, but yeah, I th- you know I think the the positive uh, point of it is to uh, give it some thought in terms of uh, you know are there are there any tweaks that you might need to make in your own home or or, or family and <laughs> I I found it quite fascinating actually you know we, we use a range of you know technological kind of uh, tools in in the home to uh, 
um, help uh, limit the uh, the amount of time that gets spent doing uh, you know yeah. certain How technological well things. Um, yeah, look, it's um, it's it's part of, it's part of the mix. You know, I think as much as possible, you want you know want people to uh, you know of whatever age to kind of figure out for themselves what uh, what works works you know well and and appropriately uh, for them. But uh, you know, I guess I've got to see a, a whole variety talking to other. Other other parents and uh, interacting with other families and uh, yeah you you definitely see uh, some variances and there was one home I was in recently where uh, the the parents were not native English speakers and it and it kind of felt like that the the power in the household was with the eleven year old rather than with with the parents and that you know the youngster you know not only you know had mastered the the English you know the local uh, Lingo reasonably well, but also you know very adept from the, the technology uh, uh, st- <laughs> yeah. standpoint. So these parents were pulling their hair out a little bit. Yeah, I yeah my kids have all been through the same thing. I remember sitting at home one day, uh, or at work one day, and um, my son popped up on Facebook. Except he was supposed to be at school, and I <laughs> said to him, you know, I'm messenger. Aren't you supposed to be at school? And he said, Oh, we are, but we've just worked out how firewalls work. It's like, oh, okay. I think maybe shut everything down now, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, and look, there can be some elements there that are actually quite good, right? Kids working out how to how to break and yeah, and, and bypass these things. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's some good technical skills that are built up uh, to, doing that. <laughs> right. uh, you know, even even if judge. even if you weren't exactly putting those uh, those things in place for their uh, uh, for their to, educational to, purposes, but, yeah, educational it's... reasons. So uh, there you go. Um, now we must. Talk once again about uh, Elon Musk. He's uh, he's been all over Twitter over the last few days, and um, you know, getting some some interesting uh, interesting attention. Uh, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. What's uh, what's your take on what uh, Elon Elon's <laughs> up to at, at the moment, Brett? What are the what are um, the highlights for you? I think I've made clear my viewpoints of Elon Musk in the past, but um, what a fascinating creature! So he's painted himself into a corner with the Twitter purchase. Um, and I can't help but wonder or think or feel that a lot of the noise he's making at the moment is distraction from that for whatever reason. I think there's a whole lot of chickens, very, very large, very, very expensive chickens about to come home to roost for that. He's about to pay 40-something billion dollars for a company that's worth a quarter of that, uh, which would have to go down as one of the stupidest deals of all time. Um, he's been channeling uh, Vladimir Putin, um, which I think is an interesting thing and a very terrible thing, um, and potentially even a treasonous thing. Um there seems to be some pretty good evidence out there that um, some of the talking points he uh, parroted recently around suggesting what Ukraine might have to give up in order to uh, make peace with uh, the Russian aggressors um, seem to be Vladimir Putin's talking points as well, which is quite fascinating. So um, Elon Musk as a spokesperson for the Kremlin is something I'm not sure that anyone expected, and I'm not sure that's a good thing. Uh, and he's also threatened to potentially turn off Starlink, which of course is their um, satellite-based internet service uh, for Ukrainians after making all the noise about shipping Starlink um, equipment into Ukraine, uh, all because uh, they're not paying for it at the moment. And I'm sure um, Starlink, like many of other uh, Elon's companies, could probably survive without Ukraine's income. Um, and Star and Musk in particular, all of his companies have done very well out of US government sponsorship along the way. So... Um, it was interesting to see him 
play that card first. I might have to turn off Starlink because I don't seem to have any money in the petty cash tin. Uh, and then uh, talking on behalf of Vladimir Putin. Um, I had a relatively low opinion of Elon Musk initially, uh, which I didn't think could go too much lower, but surprise, he can. (laughs) So incredibly smart man, um, world's wealthiest man, not sure a particularly nice human being. Um, So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how all that plays out. But um, wouldn't want to be inside Elon's head at the moment. I think that'd be a very busy place to be. (laughs) Fascinating stuff. Yeah, yeah, look, I mean... um it's it is re- yeah really fascinating to uh, you know to watch some of the stuff and you know the different moves that he's, he's making he's you know it look like he's thinking there that he can you know create world peace or something and uh, you know it's uh, yeah he yes he's got a lot of money yes he's very smart on the on the technical things uh, but uh, yeah at times it's important to stick to your own lane and I, yeah, I think I, the I uh, think international geopolitics with the threat of nuclear war is one of those times. Yeah, the the Thai uh, cave uh, situation yeah, was right. uh, was was another one he got uh, yeah. he got a bit car- you know carried away on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm kind of curious how these things play out because you you know you create enough enemies and uh, and you get to a point where nobody wants to buy your product anymore as well, right? So um, it's got know. enough fanboys. I think you might be okay, but I yeah I just think there are certain times where people like him should bow out, and this is absolutely definitely beyond a doubt one of them. You should just what is it, STFU, and just stay in his lane and and do rocket things and car things and satellite things. Yeah, he seems to be quite good Quite he good at some, good some, at those, some of so, that stuff. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, he's, um, he's not the most focused of individuals, clearly. But, um, this was, I think, he veered way outside what he should have, and I think it might come back to haunt him. So mm. We'll see. On the uh, on the on the Tesla front locally, uh, for those that are that are kind of curious with you know following updates and and so on, uh, New Zealand has finally been delivered an update. New Zealand and, and Australia, maybe one or two other countries, an update that has been available US and some other markets for uh, for, for quite some time, uh, which means you can uh, fire up the Tesla app in your uh, in your phone uh, if you're paying for the um, the premium uh, connectivity. Um, or you've you've happened to have got it for free, uh, which is is my case um, based on when I bought the car and so on, and now you can go and actually have a live look at uh, through the cameras that are in the in the vehicle. Oh, okay. So yeah. if you've parked in a I don't know a dodgy neighbourhood and uh, you just want to check there's nobody standing there with a know, a baseball bat or something, then yep. uh, you know you can uh, you can do that. Um, or if you've maybe had an alert, you know, triggered on your phone that there's an issue, you can uh, actually live, live stream, um, you know, the the cameras in the car, uh, which is, is quite a slick, uh, slick little that feature. That's pretty cool. I remember seeing um, a guy by the name of Tony Sieber um, present a few years ago, um, talking about the future of electric vehicles, and he was talking about uh, the concept of, in particular, particular Tesla's case. Um, they think about them as being iPads on wheels, right? And just that whole idea of the value that you can deliver to a platform that happens to be a car by updating the software, you know, and they've really latched onto that. And it's been interesting to see that realistically just about, you know, you know more about EVs than I do, but I can't really point at another EV manufacturer that has leveraged um, software features as uh, and updates to them as, as Tesla have to, to continue that value conversation, you know? Yeah, I mean they they just continue to to add value, and you know I think of the um, well any of their vehicles, but certainly you know the Model Three that I purchased back you know, a little over three years ago 
when I got that, uh, you know, you had the autopilot capability that could, you know, steer if you're on a highway yep. or, or motorway and so on. That has that has improved so much. I drove to Rotorua over the weekend and then and then back to Auckland. And sat in the back seat. Almost. <laughs> it's it's it is so, so good now at the steering and at adjusting to, you know, if there's speed limit signs up that say, hey, road works fifty Ks through here or thirty Ks, you know, it adheres to that. And then when it yep. sees the sign to say it's back up to a hundred or, you know, what have you. Um, but one chink in their armour uh, compared to those using uh, Android Auto or you know, CarPlay in a normal vehicle for uh, their mapping is their maps aren't current with the, the latest um, highway updates wow. in, okay. in, in New Zealand. Yep. So um, that, yeah, just can, cre- can create a few few issues. So if, you're go- if you're, <laughs> so if you're wanting to use the... Um, uh, what's the new Hamilton bypass? Yep. Um, so if you want to want to use that expressway, or uh, that's it. The and uh, and in in uh, the new Wellington um, one as well. Um, what's it called? Something Gully. Someone's going transmission gully. Transmission gully. There we go. Um, uh, neither of neither of those are fully updated in their map, wow, so it, it causes, causes some yep. oddities. Yep. Uh, apparently, there is an update coming through. You know, soon, but of course, if you were just using Google Maps with Android Auto or CarPlay, that stuff's just fine. Exactly. So what I did just to avoid any, you know, or too much confusion, uh, is I actually just fired up my normal maps on my, on my phone, sort of alongside, so I could see, you know, what was supposed <laughs> to be happening. Yeah. They actually had the roads on there. The yeah. roads are on there, but they just haven't sort of flick the switch that it's all uh, that it's all live and they haven't pushed the update which is as as probably one of the f- few times where you look at what they're doing and it's like oh that's a bit backwards yeah. isn't it yeah. um, you can imagine though where New Zealand sits in the over, overall priority you know like United States and Europe and UK and and, 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 and and then there'll be like some guy who actually makes the coffee who's job is on a Saturday <laughs> morning to come in and do the quick map update for New Zealand right I'm sure that's like <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. I hope it's if it's this bad here that uh, it's the same everywhere else in the world, and that they're working on getting there together. Because <laughs> I, yeah, I think that's pretty slack. They need to be called out yeah. for it. So come on, Tesla, Elon, pull up your socks. That's right. Stop mucking around with Twitter. Stop yeah. mucking around with Vladimir Putin. Stop dicking around with all the Starlink stuff, and just sort out your software and your cars, mate. Thank yep. you. Yeah. New maps. Thank you. Yeah. And I mean, there isn't any reason why that you know that they couldn't be. Uh, you know, smarter if you're going to rely on a locally sort of, you know, cached local, you yeah. know, copy of maps, then look, I know in lots of cars you used to have to do it with a CD yep. update and you used to yep. spend lots of money, but that's not the world we're in and they should do, you know, continuous updates or, you know, weekly you updates so. or something. Yeah. So if there's a change that it's, I it's covered. I wonder some weird licensing thing, the company they license their maps from, you know, I don't it? care though. No, right? no, that's from a user <laughs> perspective, nobody cares. But yeah. I bet you, I bet you, some in the background, there's some weird esoteric intellectual property licensing thing in there where I don't know. But I bet you, yeah, yeah. Or, or it's the coffee guy that coming isn't coming in on Saturday. Well, morning. in in theory, now with the, they've got you know so many vehicles on the road collecting data and so on yeah. that they could actually map the whole world, yeah. you know, better than well, I think that's the plan. Isn't better it? than what, Google or anyone yeah. else. Because they've got the cameras, they can read the signs, they yep. can, back you know, on. they can actually capture that data and they feed it back to the, you know, yep. the, uh, 
supercomputer and uh, and away they go. But they haven't done that yet. Maybe that's on their list for uh, 2023 exactly. or 2029 or something. Um, the metaverse. Yeah. What's what's going on in the metaverse? We saw um, an interesting announcement from uh, from Meta and Microsoft. You think there's there's something real happening here with the metaverse? I think there's a few interesting things happening. So the one thing that intrigued me was the software update they'd done where all of a sudden now people in the metaverse have legs. So I thought that was nice. They've added, <laughs> yeah. given everyone legs. Um, and then there was this announcement that um, Meta and Microsoft were going to partner around the metaverse. And I thought that was really interesting for a couple of reasons. So one is I am not sure that there are two more polar opposites when it comes to values. Um, when company values that between Meta, who I see as being quite a um, an organisation that played quite fast and loose with privacy and a bunch of other things. Uh, I've done a bunch of dodgy stuff in the past with you know, Cambridge Analytica, etc. Um, and Microsoft, who I think really have stepped up, um, particularly since Satya Nadella took over, from the point of view of having a moral compass that you know kind of aligns. Um, they seem to be a relatively decent company. I mean, they're a big yeah. American corporate. They do big American corporate things. But so, yeah, that really did look like, I think I described it as kind of an oil and water mix of, of values, and I really do think it is. Um, but part of me wonders, I mean, you know, Meta are betting the business on the metaverse, right? And they've talked about spending tens of billions of dollars on it. You know, if I was a smart, large, you know, US headquartered um, software company, um, looking at some interesting technology um, built by a company that might be about to put itself out of business by putting too many dollars into it, you know, uh, might be a bad thing to do, form a partnership and, and what do they call it, vulture capital, maybe come in a little bit later when um, Meta have spent billions and not got what they wanted. Microsoft have, you know, had in a lot of ways a lead on them from an um, augmented reality perspective. Um, so, yeah, I do think it's interesting that my, that they have teamed up with Meta Sounds like their new devices are pretty good. You know, I still can't see all of the world walking around with a tissue box stuck on the front of their face. I just don't see that <laughs> happening. Um, but, you know, Microsoft had made really big inroads in um, in the enterprise space with, with their HoloLens and massive inroads in the military space, right? They've sold hundreds of thousands of them, I think, into military. Uh, so there's a company that knows how to do this stuff and how to sell it into enterprise teaming up with a company that are building some quite interesting stuff, but I think their overall vision is a bit lacking. So part of me looks at it and goes, oh, it's a one and one equals three thing, but another part of me looks at it and goes, oh, it's kind of two minus one equals one if Meta happened to, you know, gazump themselves in, in this. Thing. I'm sure I could figure out who might pick up the intellectual property for a song. Right. So, yeah, <laughs> interesting. Another watch this space. Yeah, yeah, look, I, I mean, it has been um, – it's been interesting – with uh, you know, w- with Meta being you know so deeply uh, committed to virtual reality and and yeah, what we what we I guess calling the the metaverse, um, but we haven't we haven't sort of seen that much that's kind of landed that's actually no. sort of sticky, right? My son was mentioning the other day around the um, VR headset, Oculus, and I was thinking, ah, oh, where is it? I haven't picked it up in months, yeah. six months, nine months, 12 months. Most people I know that have um, one, it, it, it's exactly the same. It's not a device that they – and the new ones are 1500 US dollars. They're not mm, cheap. The enterprise yeah. variant, yeah. 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 So um, I think that's a challenge. The hardware is expensive, and like all hardware, I'm sure it will come down in cost, although there's a lot of – and 
incredibly sophisticated technology in those devices. You know, it's not just screens and computing power. So I, th- I think that is a challenge, and I'm just not convinced of Meta's overall vision for the metaverse. I just, I don't see people, you know, protesting in the streets at, uh, at a lack of metaverse and, you know, not being able to get to, to use something like that. I, I think, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I trust Microsoft's vision for how to sell these things into enterprise a lot more than I would um, Meta's ability to sell them to consumers. That's the Now, Brett, I need you to tell us what's going on. What are you up what's to now going with, on? with right. Kiwi SaaS? What's the what's the story? What's Kiwi SaaS? So Kiwi SaaS, Paul, is a joint venture between the New Zealand government uh, and the New Zealand software as a service SaaS sector that is intended to basically accelerate the SaaS sector in New Zealand. So I can give you a whole bunch of numbers. Let me floor you with a bunch of numbers. I've talked to them so many times I've got them memorised. Um, in New Zealand right now, we estimate that there's around about 570-ish SaaS companies Um doing just software as a service, uh, so not a mixed model. So that number excludes the likes of Datacom and Gallagher's and Tate and others, large companies doing SaaS things but uh, with a mixed model. Um, we think those companies employ around about 12,500 people. Uh, this is at the end of last calendar year. Uh, and we think that they generate revenue uh, of around about $2.2 billion New Zealand per year. Um, that data uh, is taking quite a bit of time to... Um, aggregate and pull together because um, the data that's reported to IRD is all mixed in together for tech companies. So it could yeah, be someone in, yep. on the corner repairing screens on iPads uh, and someone on the other corner doing SaaS stuff. So it takes a while to pull all that together. Now, the interesting thing is that between 2016 and 2020, those companies grew headcount um, around about 16% on average per year, each and every year, without any input or assistance effectively from the government. So, um, and, and when we started looking at the size of the sector, in fact, the sector didn't even see itself as a sector. We went out and talked to these companies and they didn't really think about themselves being in the same sort of business. And one of the interesting things around uh, with SaaS companies is uh, the joke I make is they're like humans and budgies. They share about 65% of DNA. Um, so whether you're a fintech, insure tech, med tech, um, vet tech, um, auto tech, anything tech, software as a service company, there is more in common that you have with other SaaS companies than there is not. So they all sell to different customers and produce different products in different ways. But actually the the journey of spinning up a SaaS company, the challenges they have when it comes to platforms and people and all the other things, product market fit and other things, are actually almost identical. And those people can, people in those companies can switch between them. You know, a great product um manager at zero can go and work for a startup that has nothing to do with accounting. Right? You know, product management is product management. So the idea of KiwiSaaS is that what we want to do is sit in between the sector and government um, and help inform government um, to make um, data-driven policy decisions. That might be around immigration, for example, or education. Um, and th- with the intention of growing the sector massively. So if we've, we've grown it 16% year on year for 2016, 2020. What if we could grow it faster than that out to 2030? So we've done a bunch of modelling to figure out what that might look like. And our most optimistic model, and it is optimistic, but actually the reality is we can do this. I mean, look, zero is, is my example. Whenever ever anyone says to me, oh, can we really do this in New Zealand? It's like, come talk to Rod Drury. Um, we think that we could add potentially between now and the end of 2030 um, upwards of 60 or 70,000 jobs. 
Um, the average salary in the SAS sector today um, is around about 105k. That's um, double the New Zealand median wage. Yeah. So they're high-paying jobs. Um, high-paying jobs pay more tax. Tax is what pays for things like schools and infrastructure and all those other things that we love. And also lifts productivity, uh, which is a good thing. New Zealand is a very low productivity nation. In fact, we're slipping backwards productivity-wise compared to OECD nations. And so here we are presented with this opportunity to um, create lots of high-paying jobs uh, in a nation where you know we've got to where we are off the back of dairy and tourism in particular. They not, may not be the sectors or industries that take us into the future. You know, there are companies out there creating milk without cows and um, the whole carbon um, emissions situation could be challenging for our tourism sector over time, uh, particularly you know, long-distance global tourists, international tourists. Uh, and so that's what we're here to do, really. We, we, there's, you know, I talk about KiwiSAS as a team. There's literally five of us, um, ex-Callaghan Innovation. Everyone's got some pretty deep um, tech sector and SAS expertise. And that's kind of what we're here to do. So I think of it as um, kind of engineering a better future for my kids and their kids and their kids. Uh, but interestingly, from the point of view of capability development, there are some organisations out there now. The, the wonderful thing about the SAS sector is you can get in with a relatively short amount of training. So the best story I've heard so far is a painter, I believe, based in Wellington who retrained, uh, went through a four or five month course and is now a software developer earning you know, double what they were before kind of thing. Um, so Dev Academy in Wellington are doing a ton of this stuff. Uh, Mission Ready, uh, based here in Auckland, are doing um, a lot of good work in this stuff in the short course space at the moment. Um, 75, around about 75% of um, Mission Ready's uh, trainees or candidates that they're pushing through at the moment are actually moving from different um, careers. So they are already in work. Um, people like teachers, for example, um, looking at exiting the sector they're in today and getting into something that has potentially better better future for them. So um, our biggest challenge is getting more people into these roles. We need to add 20-something people to the sector every single day between now and the end of 2030, right? which is a massive challenge. But we can do this. You know, the, the reality is our market share worldwide is less than half a percent in the SaaS sector. Um, the market, the sector itself will be worth, depending on who you talk to, uh, close to a trillion US dollars per year by 2025. We're not too far away from that. So we've got a massive market that's growing hugely uh, that New Zealand is very underrepresented in but has shown, um, you know, with the likes of Zero and Pushpay and a whole bunch of other companies, that actually we can do this and well on a world stage from day one. Um, so that's what we're here to do. That's pretty exciting. It's pretty cool. What was that growth rate again that you're looking to, to get it from 16 up to? Uh, up to around about well, 19 or even 21%. Now, that that is massively optimistic. Um, but the reality is, if you go out and talk to any of the SaaS companies out there, their biggest challenge at the moment is, is people, uh, people. Um, there is you know, poaching going on between companies, which is, which is not good. Um, so what, one of the key things, we're, we're building a community, so that's of practitioners, so people that work in the SaaS sector. Um, we're building a community specifically for those people to uh, effectively give back. So someone that's a bit further down their product management career path, um, you know, could, should, we hope, we'll be able to coach others that are a bit more junior in their, in their career. Uh, so that's my role. I'm the community director. Um, but we're also looking at how we go and build um, capability around um, particularly the short course stuff and, and potentially build an academy out to help with that. And the other thing we're looking at doing is building a uh, data set, so looking at um, getting data from these companies 
um, because it's clear the data we're getting via IRD and StatsNZ and others is is patchy, there's gaps in it, um, to better understand how the sector's working. So again, so the government can make um, data-driven decisions around education, around immigration settings and things like that, move more move more quickly. Government moves slow, the sector moves quickly. We're trying to speed the, the former up to match more closely the latter. So. Um, all for that. All for yeah. that. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, thank you for thank you for that, Brett. Thank you for um, coming to my TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, is it kiwisas.com? Kiwisas.com. Kiwisas.com. Yep, they can pet folks can Absolutely. find out what's going on. We're launching on. the platform, the community platform. Uh, what do we next month in November? Um, it's been a ton of work going into that, um, and what we're trying to do there is make it a safe space for those people to engage, get conversations going. Some of the stuff we've done already, for example, we, we use a, a, what's effectively a speed dating platform called Orbit, with two eyes, um, to match people in the sector that want to talk to others. Uh, and the NPS we're getting out of that, the feedback is incredibly positive, the NPS we're getting out of that is over 90%. Right? It's massively popular. I think Apple's hovers around 70 or 80. So we're very pleased with the engagement and the, and the satisfaction of the people and just the clearly the value of those conversations. And and this is one of the things we really have worked out as we've been building all this stuff up. There is a bunch of very smart, talented people in the sector in New Zealand that have that are literally world class um, and and willing to give a lot of that knowledge and expertise and insight back. And we're trying to be the mechanism by which that they um, can, you know, enable that, I guess. That's right. That's cool. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us again, Brett. Uh, always good to catch up. Uh, thank you also to our show partners, Vodafone, Two Degrees, Spark, HP, Gorilla Technology, and Deal. Uh, and thanks, everyone, for uh, for listening in. And uh, just a, a reminder, most weeks, not this week, but most weeks you can catch uh, video, live video of the show across uh, by following me on LinkedIn. So look up Paul Spain there. Um, also, usually across uh, Twitter, Facebook and YouTube Uh, and uh, yeah we look forward to catching you again next week all right see ya the New Zealand Tech Podcast brought to you by Gorilla Technology proactive and strategic IT